0: Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this rare but real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter Grace Anna and her daughters-in-law Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Broglie.
1: Okay, we're going we're gonna to get started. And um, I do want to say this before I open us up in prayer, that um, everything I'm going to share with y'all tonight is for, for women, whether you homeschool or whether you don't homeschool, because they're principles from God's Word— However, they will be particularly applicable to those of you who have taken on the journey of homeschooling or home education or having a home-based education, however you want to call it. Um, but I'm so thankful that some of you are here that, I, that are not in the middle of homeschooling. You're here because you want to hear God's Word. So let me open with prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the women that you have brought into this room and the ones I know who will be live streaming. And And I pray that you would use the things that we're going to look at from your word to give us the right perspective, to refresh our perspective, to give us joy in the journey of what we're trying to do while you have us here on this earth. Father, I know that this is the message that you wanted me to share with my friends here tonight, and I pray that you would use it. With all my heart, I pray that you would use it in their lives and and then subsequently in the lives of their children as they are raising them for your glory. Father, I want to pray for every child that is represented in this room tonight and the ones, again, who are represented by the women who will be watching or listening to this at a later time. Father, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to share your word, and I pray that you would use tonight for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I decided to call this when it's stressful, particularly because, you know, the kind of the theme of this, like, home education weekend that I was given last year and before and and even in the beginning was refreshing your perspective. I know that when— I started the journey of home educating my children. I needed the right perspective more than I needed the right method. I needed God to always renew my mind and, and help me walk by faith more than I needed the, so many other things. That's what I needed the most. So I wanna start tonight by sharing a little bit of my journey. Some of you may know it, some of you may not because there's so many new women. But it was the summer of 1982, so that really dates, and that's why now I call myself a vintage woman. I call myself, you know, I'm old school in terms of when I started on this journey. But in the summer of 1982, and I'm pretty sure sure it was the summer because I remember we had our firstborn baby. He was born in December of 1981, and he was having tummy time on a blanket as I was listening to Christian, the local Christian radio station. And it happened to be Focus on the Family with Dr. James Dobson, and he was interviewing a guest whose name was Dr. Raymond Moore, and he's since gone home to be with the Lord and his wife's name was Dorothy, and they were discussing educating your children at home or what has now been commonly called homeschooling. Now, I had never heard of such a thing before, ever. I'd never heard of it. And the, but the interview really intrigued me, and I remember glancing over at Jeremy in, on his blanket, his little tummy time, and when I looked at him, I remember thinking, it's such a long way off to start thinking about education because that's what it seemed like. But still that interview was very appealing to me, though I do remember thinking I couldn't do it. Time passed. We added another little baby boy to our family and then time passed again and we added a little girl. I was pregnant with our little girl. And then it was at that time when I was pregnant that we moved to Texas for Carl to go to seminary. It was also during that time for, uh, during that time, when we registered our now kindergarten age son um, to in the local Christian school, now to give a little background about that. Um, Carl and I both had decided early on that we were not going to send our children to public school. We would do everything in our power, and y'all, this is the 80s, but we would do everything in our power, scrape every penny together, everything that we could to send our children to a Christian Christian school that wouldn't be fighting against our Christian worldview. I would do anything to sacrifice to do that, and so we were doing that, and we understood that passage that says, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and we wanted our children to get that not only from us, but we wanted to get it from the people who would be influencing them while they were away at school, a, a, you know, a body of believers who would, who would partner with us and come alongside us and help us in that realm. And, of course, we both knew, being products of the public school ourselves, that it wouldn't happen there. They wouldn't partner with us, (laughs) even back then. Um, But especially in all the years that had passed since we were both in public school. And so so that's what we did. We enrolled our son in the Christian school, and we loved it. It was really great. We loved the teachers there. We loved the administration. We enjoyed getting to know the other families at the school. The only thing that bothered me, and and to be fair, as I think back on it, it was only occasionally, but nonetheless, occasionally, there were some issues that were cropping up that I thought that needed to be addressed in my son's behavior um, and, and one of them, and this wasn't a behavior issue, and even these other things were kind of minor, but, uh, but the, the biggest issue one day when he came home and he had not turned six yet because he was five and then he turned six in December, but he said, Mommy, what's the F word? And before I even had a chance to answer him, he quickly added, it must be fart because I know it's not a good word. And I just remember his comments stuck with me because... I don't know. I just thought, well, why is that a discussion in kindergarten? I mean, I'll just think about what's being discussed. <laughs> but I thought, why is that a discussion? And I also remember thinking that, that the word that he thought that was bad was the worst word he could think of. <laughs> well, these issues didn't make me think we should pull him out of school and homeschool him. In fact, I wasn't even thinking about homeschooling. I'd kind of forgotten about that thing. But all it did for me was make me a little more diligent as a mom to pray more, to build more into his life when he was at home and to continue to build camaraderie among my children. So many things I just got smarter about. Well, the summer after kindergarten, we immediately enrolled him for first grade. And his brother for kindergarten the, for the following year. And of course, in the meantime, we'd had our little girl. And that summer also found me pregnant with our fourth child who was due in August. And we were having this fantastic summer. I would take the children to the park. We had swimming lessons. We were playing in our backyard and in our neighborhood. And of course, and we were meeting friends at the park. And we were very involved in our local church. And as it was our habit, I took my children to the libraries all the time. And our church had a real really great library. So, one Sunday before we left church, we stopped by the church library, and there on the librarian's desk was a book. And my eyes landed on that book, and the title of that book was Homestyle Teaching. And by the way, it's out of print now, but you can find it if you want on eBay or somewhere like that. But it was called Homestyle Teaching. And suddenly, it was like this transport It's like something clicked in my head. It was like, that's the book I heard them talking about all those years ago when my baby was having tummy time. And so I said to the librarian, "Can, can I like check that book out? And she said, I mean, I'll never forget her answer because she said, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to reshelve that book. But I keep forgetting it's been sitting there for two to three weeks. And I just remember thinking that's because I would not have gone into that library to look for it. It needed to be left there for me to see it. So I did check it out. And I um, started reading it over the summer as my kids were at swimming lessons or at night before I went to bed or anytime I could pick it up and grab it, I was reading it. And as I read, I still remember feeling like these hands were coming out of the book, like going, this, this, what you're praying about. Sorry about that. (laughs) Like slapping me on the side of the face, almost like this is the answer. This is what you're, this is what you need to do. And obviously, that's not really what was happening, but that's the way I felt about it because it was like zing, zing, zing. So much of what Dr. Moore talked about in that book was what I had been experiencing with my children. And as I read the book, I realized I could do this. I could keep my children home. I could educate them, at least in the early years. I mean, I could read, write, and do arithmetic. I could teach them that. So I would take paragraphs of that book to Carl, and I would say, because he was in the middle of Greek and studying, and I would just say, hey, will you just read this little paragraph? And he read the few things that I gave to him to read, and he just said to me one day, well, I think we need to homeschool. And of course, what he's really saying is, I think you need to homeschool. <laughs> but that was the beginning. That's where it started. And you have to understand, we had already registered both of our boys in this, for this non-refundable registration fee. But we talked to the school. The school was great. The people there were just like, hey, if you need anything, we'll help you. They, they refunded our money, though we didn't ask them to. They did. But I do remember feeling very, very encouraged by that. And at the time too, y'all, I did not know one single person who homeschooled, not one, not a real person that I could talk to. I did not have any mentors. I did not have a group that I could go to and pick their brains. I didn't have that. There were some books that I gathered and I would read books, but I didn't have any friends who had embarked on this journey. And that was still the time where people looked at you kind of weird if you said you were going to do this. Or try this. All I had was that radio program, and now this book called Homestyle Teaching. So, I quickly wrote to Dr. Moore, and I enrolled my children under his thing that was called the Moore Foundation at the time. And they sent me, you know, I paid for the, the curriculum for them, and um, they sent me everything I needed to get started, and we started. And my boys were very excited about it. In fact, they didn't express any disappointment at all about no, not going to the Christian school They were so thrilled that they were going to have a new little baby brother the beginning of our school year. And they were also thrilled with the little desk that I set up in our living room in our very small home and all of the school supplies I purchased for them. I mean, they were super excited about it. And I didn't know then that I was supposed to feel worried or tense about it. I didn't know that I was supposed to get all stressed out about it. I, just, I was excited. I just didn't know that there was all this stuff that people were going to worry about as it co- concerned homeschooling. I just had my stuff, and we were just going to dig in. The way that I dug in reading to them, the way that I dug in telling them stories. Now, also in those Texas years... We experienced so many health trials as a family. My son had a tumor in his leg, my oldest son. I had a tumor in my neck. We almost lost our daughter when my placenta ruptured and I was on bed rest during the entire pregnancy. And then she was premature. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But nonetheless, God met our every need. He helped us along the way, and somehow we managed to educate our little children in that, our little Texas home. God was faithful daily. And that's what we have to remember. God is faithful daily. We always want to think big picture, and we should look at the big picture, but we need to remember that He meets us daily. He meets us moment by moment, just like He met the Israelites daily and gave them manna. That's who our God is, and we have to look to Him to be faithful to us and trust Him in that. And he was continued to be faithful through the years, even with all those stresses of life. And that's really what I want to encourage you with tonight, whether the education of your children is home-based or not. Now, if God's called you to this particular journey of educating your children from the home, it isn't your ability and it isn't your capability that will get the job done. It's not even your education and, and, and your experience. It's none of those things. You know, sometimes you doubt whether God will be faithful to you when you compare yourself and your children to everything that is out there, especially now. If I was starting now, I'd probably be so overwhelmed. I don't know what I would do. Well, I do know what I would do. I would trust God to meet me daily and to give me manna daily, and that's what we have to do. Now, the fact of the matter is, though, is God doesn't compare you or your children to other people. He doesn't compare you to the other believers. He doesn't do that. And so, so much of the stress that you and I carry as a home-based educator, and even just in life, is self-induced. And I want you to know, though, Even though some of it is self-induced, a lot of it is not self-induced. Because scripture teaches that God actually leads us into stressful times. So if he led you to homeschool, he led you into some of the most stressful times of your life. Stressful times. If you remember, it was God who told Moses to take on Pharaoh. And it was also God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was Jesus who stayed at the temple when he was 12, causing his mother and father great stress. It was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was God who led the disciples right into a storm on the sea. Jesus is the one who said, In this world, you will have tribulation. We just don't want it. We want a utopia, we don't want to face stress. Jesus experienced great stress in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. And James tells us, consider it all joy when, not if, not, well, maybe you won't have it. But no, when you encounter various trials, because you will. God doesn't relieve us of stressful life situations. He doesn't. A number of years ago, there lived a man who loved God with his whole heart, yet his whole life was filled with stress. Near the end of his life, he wrote a letter while he was in jail, facing imminent execution. Most of his friends had abandoned him. He was old, he was forgotten, and he was really quite alone in one sense. And I remember this letter so well, because back in the 80s, Carl and I were going through some of our own stresses that I briefly referred to but I want to give a little more detail of that. In a time frame of less than two years, I discovered this tumor in my neck that my doctors strongly suspected was cancer. They couldn't do much about it because I was in the first trimester of my pregnancy with my daughter. And any treatment, they said, would be a threat to my unborn baby. So I had to gamble with my life to protect my child. I underwent Numerous biopsies and tests, which continued to point to cancer because of what they called questionable clusters of cells, they couldn't rule it out. And I was so young. And then, in the fifth month of my pregnancy, while this was going on, my placenta ruptured, and I was rushed to the hospital only to find out that I was in danger of hemorrhaging. And they told me that my baby was probably going to die. They were trying to stop the bleeding. They were trying to stop the rupture. I mean, they were doing everything they could. But they told me if she did survive, she would most likely suffer brain damage. Now, this is how I found out that that third baby was a girl. I was thrilled, but that thrilled was overshadowed because of what they had told me. And I'll never forget the words of the doctor to me he said i'm afraid you're i'm afraid you're going to lose this baby and i hate to even tell you that but i want i would rather you be pleasantly surprised should she survive than utterly disappointed you have to face the reality of what could happen here and then he said a 20 week old fetus cannot survive outside the womb now i continually cried i can't even tell you how much i cried for the next week while my body was still in contractions and they were giving me medication to stop contractions. And then I worried that my emotions were going to make it worse. You know, all the stuff you read and are told. But I made it through daily God gave daily manna. And I remember I had a calendar where I just marked off the dates, like what the weeks. Another, another day, she's good. She's safe. Another day, she's safe. And then I had markers on that calendar for which weeks I needed to get to because it was very critical if I could just get to 28 weeks. You know, th- those, that's how I was living at the time. And I made it. And of course, I was in the hospital for a week, and then it was like, okay, things are, seem, seem like you've got to be in complete bed rest. I couldn't even take care of my kids. We had to hire someone. We hired a teenager down the street who came in that we didn't even know, but I was home, and she came, and she played with Jeremy and Jordan that whole summer, and by the way, she came to know the Lord, too. But... uh but not longer after I was confined to complete bed rest, Jeremy, who was three years old, my oldest son at the time, he began to have trouble walking. He consistently woke up screaming, and he was in intense pain at night. My leg hurts, Mommy, my leg hurts, my leg hurts. And of course, after a trip to the pediatrician, we were sent to a neurologist who ordered test after test after test after test. Some was sedation. Some, one of them was, he had 14 needles injected into his leg to determine the nature of what was going on in his leg. And the doctors told Carl, because remember, I was on bed rest, and I couldn't go to any of these appointments. And the doctor told Carl that the probability of muscular dystrophy was very high. And I remember Carl calling me from the hospital. And, you know, we had one of those long phones in the kitchen and and Stephanie the girl who was taking care of the kids and I remember her bringing that phone to me and uh and he told me that and I just cried again and I I knew enough about muscular dystrophy to know that it was a death sentence I said are you sure are they sure are they sure and Carl said no they're not sure but that's what they that's what it's looking like they're going to still do we're going to wait we're going to do some more tests these things take time But it might be something else. It might be a tumor on the spine. We just don't know. And of course, the medical bills keep piling up. And I felt like, I just remember during that time, feeling like there was this cloud that was right here. And no matter where I walked, it just stayed over me. And all this happened began to happen this journey began to happen one month after we moved to Dallas we were 1500 miles away from the our family and the closest friends we had ever known and before we even had a chance to make new friends we were still adjusting to a new place but you know God's people are so wonderful because church people they don't know you but they come in and they do what they do what they do (laughs) but the refreshment came from me not through the lifting of the stress because it wasn't lifted, not through that, but it came through his word because also during that two-year time frame, our pastor was teaching through the book of Philippians. And remember, because I was on bed rest until Grace Ann was born, she was premature, but I got through the pregnancy. Our pastor began teaching the book of Philippians and the timing was so providential because I learned so much and I remember learning that God doesn't give pat answers. What he gives is perspective. What he gives is his peace. What he gives is his joy. He gives a way of seeing things. He gives a way of viewing the stress that he's brought you to. And his word, when his word gets deep into your heart, you really find that you don't need a whole lot of answers. You just need him. And as I studied, and I would study voraciously. Because I, that's what I would do at home with this, my, my pastor's sermons or the ones I would hear. Sometimes it was by tape. It's by tape, not live streaming and all that. We didn't have any of that stuff. Um, but, but I would study it on my own. And then uh, I began, I just began understanding so much more about the goodness of God and God showing me the difference between stress I created through my own self centeredness and my own pity parties. And real life stress, and I say began because here it is nearly 30 years later, and I'm still learning for longer than 30 years. But it was, it was as if that letter that I mentioned when I said a man wrote a letter started like this, Dear Audrey, because it was Apostle Paul writing it to the Philippian believers but he's writing it to believers, and if you know the Lord, that letter is for you, and this is how it began. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident that this of this very thing, that he who began a Good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And a lot of his perfecting work comes through the stresses of life. "'For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all "'because I have you in my heart, "'since both in my imprisonment "'and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, "'you all are partakers of grace with me. "'For God is my witness how I long for you all "'with the affection of Christ Jesus. "'And this I pray that your love may abound "'still more and more in real knowledge.'" and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What you see here in the beginning of this book is that Paul begins his letter focusing on other people. He's not focusing on his difficult circumstances. Not yet. He's not talking about them yet. He's thanking God for these people. He thinks of them with joy. He thinks of their help and he prays for them, he longs for them and he cares about their spiritual growth. He doesn't deny his real life stress But he has God's perspective concerning them. So, there's tons of application in here, even for us. Thank God for your children. Thank God for your husband. Thank God for everything that's that's happening around you. Look for the good works in other people. Look for what people are doing and pray for them that their love may abound still more and more. And then in verse 12, he says, Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel and he said, there he's talking about his circumstances. So that my imprisonment, there it is, he's in prison, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. You see what he's doing here? He's looking for the good that's coming for, from his imprisonment. You see see what he's saying? He's saying, people are coming to the Lord because of my imprisonment. Not like, oh man, I'm in prison. This is awful. He's saying, no, God's using it for his, his glory. Now think about it. This man, the apostle Paul, he's chained to a Roman guard day and night. There was always a guard with him. Can you imagine that? But instead of complaining about his stressful situation, Paul saw it as an opportunity. He could witness to this guard. He could see each guard. I mean, he could see each of those guards as a man for whom Christ died. When one guard's watch ended, he got a new one to share the gospel with. And he was replaced. He kept seeing those opportunities. And this is what happened in his life. And this is obviously how the cause of Christ, as Paul says, became well known throughout the whole praetorian guard. He shared the gospel with every guard that, <laughs> that came, he came in contact with rather than just commiserating about himself, pining away at his unfair prison sentence, and how could God do this to me? I mean, perhaps you think of yourself sometimes as chained to your children. You think they're always around, and maybe you think, I just need some time to myself. But are you going to create stress for yourself complaining about your life and your circumstances Or are you going to share Christ with each of your little guards? Are you going to do that so that the cause of Christ has come well known in your whole house and all your children know? Because that's what you do. You're sharing Christ with them. You're always talking to them about about the Lord. And you're dealing with the stresses that they bring into your life from God's perspective. Verse 15, some to be sure preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So, Paul was received badly in Rome. Those believers, the believers had greeted him, but then he went to prison, and then these years passed. Pastors were jealous of him, so they neglected him in prison. They didn't really care about him anymore. And there was a lot of friction, and most of the believers had deserted him. It's like you just forget about the people that are put away. And knowing that background adds even more insight to his words. Because think about what he's saying here. He knows that there are those who are preaching Christ with wrong motives. And not only that, but they they want to cause distress for Paul. Stress in his life. But he chooses not to get stressed over it. He says instead, instead, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, yes and I will rejoice. I mean, think about what he's saying there. He's making a conscious choice to rejoice. I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. It's like, I'm choosing to rejoice. How about you? How about me? Are we choosing to rejoice when it's very, very hard? When we're thinking, oh man, I just can't, I just got to get through this. Choose to rejoice. Verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So, he's expressing here his honest and his heartfelt desire. He wanted to get out of prison. It's not like, okay, I'm in prison, and so, yes, I'm rejoicing in it. But it's not like he wanted to stay there. He wanted to get out. He wanted it to come to an end. He wanted that to happen. He says it's his earnest expectation and hope. So we have to understand that just because Paul was choosing to rejoice in his circumstances didn't mean that he didn't want those circumstances to change. But if they didn't, he says he's going to rejoice anyway because his concern was that Christ be exalted, and that's when he wrote these words for me to for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain, to live as Christ. I mean, think about that: to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And what could be better than living with purpose, each and every day having meaning for existence, with a job to do for the Savior, with the Savior living in us, who gives us the ability and the capability to accomplish and do what He has called us to do. See, so often we just look at ourselves or we compare ourselves to other people and think, I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do it. And you're right, you can't. But as we're going to see in a little bit, You can do all things through Christ who strengthens strengthens you, and we'll see that verse in its context. What could be better than the purpose of Christ in me and His living His life through me? Well, there is one thing that's better than that, and Paul talks about it here, and that's dying for the believer. So, Paul says dying was better than living. Why does he say that? Well, the reason he says it is for the believer, dying means to actually be with Christ, Absent from the body, home with the Lord, the scripture teaches, face to face, no more seeing through a mirror dimly, no more only knowing in part, no more not understanding why, no more mystery. That's why he said to die is gain. But I want you to understand he was not suicidal. He wasn't so stressed out by his life circumstances that he didn't want to live anymore. No, he was not in despair. He had such a sense of God's presence in his life and such a respect for God's sovereignty in his life that he fully trusted God. to I mean, he trusted God to decide when his work on earth was done. This made him unafraid of dying for sure made him unafraid. Because here's the thing, when a believer dies, God's with them. And we don't have to be afraid of going anywhere where God is with us, in the valley of the shadow of the death. I mean, God is with us. He's with the believer. And so that made Paul unafraid of dying. And that should make us unafraid of dying. Because when we pass out of this life into the next life, God is with us as believers. But it also gave him perspective because he continued. He said, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. He's, that's what he's saying. That's better yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. I mean, you see what this tension here? In one direction, he has a desire to depart this life. Because he's a believer. He knows that's better. And to be with Christ. Yet in the opposite direction, he knew that for him to remain on with the believers on earth was more necessary for their sake. So as he's admitting his dilemma, he said he was convinced that God wanted him to live on for now to remain longer in this life. And here's the thing that we can, should understand from this passage, that for us, if you know the Lord, if you and I are still on this earth, and we are, we don't know when God will take us home, it only means one thing, more fruitful labor and he says more fruitful labor so you may think you're not having much fruitful labor with your children sometimes when you're just like on your knees and you're thinking are they ever going to understand this am i ever going to you know what i mean i can remember tons of times wondering that those kinds of things but he says more fruitful labor daily manna he's faithful daily to us and he will give us fruitful labor god if you're still here on this earth god has more ministry for you and if you've got children in the home, that is your your husband, of course. That goes without saying, within those children, that's your most important ministry. They're not in your way. They are your way. They're what you're supposed to be doing. And He has purpose for you in their lives. He's not finished with you. He chose you to be their mom. He chose you to raise them up for His glory. And He will help you with that. I mean, there are some women who... They get, they feel so stressed out in this life that they just get tired of living, and I'm talking about believing believers, and I'm talking about women who are believers, because what they're forgetting is is what Paul says so simply: to live is what, to live is Christ, to live is Christ. That's what he says. And you know, it's, and it's not just old women who think, oh, my youth has passed me by, and what's there left for me? And it's not just that. It's more and more young women who are so caught up in all of the comparing themselves and thinking, oh, they're, you know, 30 years old, and they're like, oh, look at this wrinkle. You know, and they're just worried about all this crazy stuff. When God says, no, to live is Christ. That's what he says. But more, whether they're older or younger women who are just thinking wrongly. And I'm talking about believing women who are thinking wrongly. When I was talking to my granddaughters and my daughter-in-law today. On, and we were just having a discussion about different things. And I said, I said some of these women know the Lord. That they are believers. But they don't know His Word. And that's why they, they don't know how to teach the Bible. That's why they can't help you with your problems. That's why they're so worried and stressed about everything, because their hope is they haven't learned the, the God's Word. They don't understand to live as Christ. They don't get that. I mean, sometimes with with women, it's just it's like we're focusing on the circumstance. We're just focusing right here on this one thing, and we forget to live as Christ and that God sees the big picture and that He gives us in order to fulfill that big picture of what he has for us, he gives us daily manna. I mean, you know, the thoughts of seeing, oh, I'm just so stressed out, I can't handle this anymore. I just, you know, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Those kinds of thoughts, defeatist thoughts, they're not from the Lord. They're not. They're from the evil one. And you know what God's Word tells us? God tells us that. He says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly i mean women get so m- messed up in their thoughts sometimes it's like that all they do is listen to themselves they don't listen to god's word they're like you know sometimes women will say i'll say well have you prayed about that or let, let's pray about that well okay I, i'm going to pray about that but what else or uh, you know let's memorize this passage of church. okay i'm going to memorize that passage, but what else and then they just rehearse in their own hands. They get lost in their own thoughts. Oh, yeah, this is so hard. They're never going to learn this. I'm not, you know, this is, I can't do this. I can't do that. Nothing's going to work out. That's the way the evil one wants you to think. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. That's what he does. That's his threefold purpose. And then, but Jesus says, I came. That they might have life. Remember, to live is Christ's life, that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Paul obviously understood this, and God wants us to understand this. Paul's desire to depart, when he expressed that in this chapter, had nothing to do with stress. It had nothing to do with him being in prison like i'm so sick of being in this prison i can't do anything and i'm you know i'm chained to these guards i just i just want the lord to take me home no it has nothing to do with that it's not even to have to do with his being overwhelmed by his difficult circumstances of this prison and persecution life he was facing not just facing but in the middle of his perspective came from wanting what was best for the cause of Christ. His heart was that Christ be exalted, whether it's by his life or by his death. And he knew it was up to God to decide, not him. And that's why he said, I don't know which to choose. It's like, I'm glad I don't have to decide. I'm glad that God's the one who decides these things. And so we as women don't need to get so despairing. We don't need to be focusing so much on the problems and the pain of life. Even the problems that come with educating our children rather than focusing on the Lord. At the heart of this kind of despair, y'all, really, it's a lack of trust in and a lack of knowledge of God. And the only way to really know God and then to trust Him is to know and believe His Word. And God wants that for us. He wants us to focus on His Word and His promises instead of focusing on our words and our problems. That's the kind of thing that leads to depression and leads to the giving up. Remember, Satan is the thief. He doesn't want you to hope in God. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to slaughter you. I mean, he packages everything so nicely, but he wants to kill you. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be despairing. He wants you not to have any hope. He wants you to look at everything that's negative. God is so clear in His Word that Satan is a murderer, that He is a liar. I mean, He's the one who's behind all the murders of these little innocent babies. He's a murderer. That's what He does. There's no truth in him. God tells us this. God also tells us that he disguises himself as an angel of light. We're just so dumb sometimes. We just don't take God at his word, even as he's telling us what the enemy of our soul is like. I mean, if you belong to the Lord, he can't undo your salvation. But he can certainly help you become a miserable Christian. He can help you focus and be despairing and not live any differently than, the, uh, than unbelievers out there. But in the midst of it all, of all of this, of reminding us of this, God shouts to us, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. To live is Christ. God gives abundant life in this world no matter what my circumstances, no matter what the criticism, or the persecution, no matter how bad the world, no matter how overwhelming the stress in my life is, I can enjoy fullness. I can enjoy freedom. Jesus not only gave His life for me. Now, think about this, y'all. He not only gave His life for you, He gives His life to you. I mean, that's what He promises. You know, when He gave us the Holy Spirit, he He lives inside of us. At the moment you got saved, God the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And he works in your life. He helps you obey the Lord. And of course, this is what Paul was experiencing. He wasn't just surviving in that prison. I mean, everything, oh, I'm just surviving. You watch all these crazy TikTok videos. And by the way, so many of those, it's just like, you know, I know some of them are meant to be funny. I understand that. And I like to laugh at things. But so much of it, it's just like, all it is is complaining about husbands and children. And I, and I understand. I'm not saying don't laugh, don't want. I mean, I'm not saying don't laugh at those things. But just don't just don't spend all your time there. Get your focus on the Lord. It's because it's not just surviving. It's not just about biding your time until your circumstances change or until your children grow up. I mean, sometimes I want to say to young moms because I've lived it. I know it's hard. Like I have lived it. But I also know that as I was going through those years with my children and some of the tough situations, whether it was health-wise or whether it was whatever it was, number one, I know God is faithful. I know He's faithful. And I know that the most important thing that I ever did with my kids when I was growing up was, when they were growing up, was walk with God myself. That was the most important thing I did, was to live a holy life before the Lord. As much as I could, I, I sinned plenty, I'm not a perfect person, but I know that that was the most important thing that I did for them. Not just like, oh, get them busy over here so I can like have my secret sin over here. No, I wanted to live holy, I wanted to be pure, I still do. I want God to eradicate all the junk out of my life. Because I know that God uses that. He uses a holy mama in those kids' lives more than he uses the best curriculum out there. That's just what he does. That's the way he is. That's what he says in his word is the most important, that we obey him. We keep his commandments, that we have a heart that completely belongs to him, that we walk humbly with him moment by moment, and we stay in, in, close to him. Because when we do that, he gives us wisdom. He gives us the knowledge. He gives us that daily manna. And he helps us in every little thing we're facing. I mean, he helps us with that child you don't think they're ever going to learn to read. But they do. You don't think they're ever going to learn how to whatever it is, just fill in the blank. And they do. You don't think that you're ever going to get past this little demon stage in your child's life. But you stay faithful and you trust God. And they do. And God uses you in the process. So, it's not just about surviving. It's about looking to the Lord and letting Him help you through these things. Just like, I mean, think about Paul. I mean, he was experiencing the abundant life, whether he was in prison or at a prayer meeting. Whether he was shipwrecked or on a cruise. Whether he was beaten up or whether he was praised. Whether he was young or whether he was old. Whether he was sad or whether he was happy. Because as he grew in his faith, as when he got saved and then grew, he listened to his master's voice rather than listening to the thief who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Sitting in this dirty Roman prison, deserted, old, forgotten, facing execution, he writes with joy. And y'all, you know what? In this book, in the book of Philippians, he talks about it, I think it's 16 times. Then he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Don't you kind of wish that wasn't in there? He says it's been granted to us. For Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, so God grants to us that we are able to believe in him because of his work in our lives, but he also grants to us suffering. That's what he does. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You know, when you suffer, when you go through really, really hard things, it's like that's the time you grow the most if you look to the Lord. He brings good out of it. He brings a resolve out of it. He brings a steadfast, He brings a hope. So we have the privilege of being saved, but we also have the privilege of suffering. It has been granted to us. It's part of the package. And sometimes that, that comes in all kinds of ways. And then then he says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, I mean, that's what that means, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and there is, I mean, that's the the implication here, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. It's an amazing request. His joy, he's saying, will be complete if the believers are getting along. He's in prison. And he says, you know what? My joy will be complete if you guys could just get along. You know, over the years when it was my birthday, when my kids were growing up, or Mother's Day was around the corner or whatever, my children would always like say, well, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Mother's Day? And I would usually say, almost always, I'd say, I just want y'all to get along. And Jordan would say, well, you're not getting that. What, so what do you want? <laughs> but... It's true, and that's what He's saying. I mean, we as moms, that's what we want. That's one of the things that brings joy to our hearts when our children get along, when they're not going at each other. And then Paul continues, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at this name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I can't wait for that day. I mean, we see all the hostility towards the Lord now, but this day is coming. So then my beloved, he's bringing it back down to earth, just as you have also obeyed, not not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says this in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Isn't that interesting that he says that? I mean, isn't that sometimes the thing that really bonds women when we just like complain? And when we grumble with each other, and we get together, and so often women, they just go to the lowest common denominator, let's just like bash our husbands. No, they don't say that. Let's bash our husbands, not if they're Christian women, but they start complaining about their husbands, or they start complaining about their children, or just about their sorry life, murmuring, grumbling. God says, don't do it. So mom, do you grumble about your children? Do you grumble about schooling them? Are they just growing up in your home where they just think they're just a big burden to you because all you do is grumble about it and how hard it is? First of all, God doesn't want us to grumble against him. He doesn't want to argue with us about this. He wants us to listen to him and do what he says. And in this context, God's referring to reasoning that goes on in the human heart in rebellion against God. Then expresses itself in grumbling, murmuring, and complaining. Because when we're doing that, we're we're really grumbling against God. And remember the children of Israel? They were always murmuring. When they were in Egypt, they complained because they were in Egypt. When God led them out of Egypt, they complained because they weren't in Egypt anymore. Because remember the leeks? Remember all the great food we had? When God, I mean, that's just what they did. Then they complained that they had nothing to eat, so God gave them manna. Then they got sick of the manna. We're just sick of this manna. Then they complained that they didn't have any meat. And, of course, God gave them so much meat that they got sick of the meat. I mean, they complained for 40 years. And even when they got to the promised land, they were still complaining. And of course, some of them didn't even get to go in because they're just a complaining people. I mean, just read. Go, go home tonight and read 1 Corinthians 10 when, when Paul's telling the Corinthian believers about all the complaints of the Israelites And let God convict you, and I'll let him convict me of that, because I'm like that. God blesses us, yet we still find something not to like about even his blessings. He blesses us even more, and yet we complain again about the next blessing he gives us. It's just not right. It wasn't quite good enough. I mean, we're just like children, because this is what children do. You give them something and yet they're still unhappy or they wanted something different or better. But that's what we do. And of course, that's the kind of stress we bring upon ourselves, the kind we choose to have in our lives. God says, do this. But we argue with him on the inside thinking, thinking like, do I have to really do it God's way? Why can't I do it this way? Or we reason, do I have to do it right now, maybe later? When God says we're to do something, we're just supposed to do it. And when he says, don't do something, we're not supposed to do it. And we trust him because he knows what's best for us. Just recognizing that one fact calms me in the midst of stressful situations. And why does God say to do all things without grumbling or disputing? He tells us right in the next verses. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So when you and I choose not to grumble or complain the way the world does, we're proving. Y'all, that proves that we belong to God. God says it shows that we, that, that we end up appearing as lights in this dark, dark world, in this crooked and perverse generation, because light stands out. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, <laughs> he says, I rejoice And share my joy with you all. And think about what he's saying there when he says, you know, I mean, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I mean, that's just different from the world, too. Because, you know, we don't want to sacrifice. So often we don't even want to serve. I mean, so much of what we do in the home is just flat out service. That's all it is. I mean, we serve our families and part of that serving serving them too is teaching them holding them responsibility but that's what we do there's nothing wrong with that that's what we do that's what Christ came you know he says i came to serve not to be served but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. He's the one in prison, yet he's concerned about their welfare so much so that it matters to him who ministers to them while he's in those chains. He knows Timothy, and he knows that Timothy will care for the, for the people like he does. He knows that, and he he goes on and he explains, he says, but they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, talking about Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. I mean, Paul doesn't wanna send someone who's self-indulgent. He wants to send a true shepherd to care for the people, one who cares about the welfare of the flock. Again, you can relate this to yourself. Even as as a mother, don't you care about who cares for your children when you're not there? You want someone who will care about them when you can't be there. And then Paul continues, he said, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had all heard that he was sick. I mean Paul's talking about this, it's Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was distressed. He was distressed, not because he was sick, but because he knew this would worry the Philippian believers. That's what he that's what Paul's saying. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient. In your service to me. This was a man who needed a little pampering. Hold him in high regard, Paul says. Receive him in the Lord. Then, he, then Paul says these words Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard to you because again, he's concerned for them. They're not a bother to him and you're not a bother to the Lord. And Paul, even in prison, his concern was for them. And usually concern for others, here's another application point, eliminates our own focus on our own problems, our own self-induced stress. And listen to his words of care here. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision, for we are of the true circumcision. He says, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I love this part here. Because he's talking about, and I think about this so often with moms, of those who homeschool and home educate their children. So many women will put, want to put confidence in their flesh. Well, I got this degree, and I got that degree, and I know what I'm doing, and, and I, you know, I got all this. But, but Paul's saying no, and he goes through his list of, of everything about him that was how he was found blameless. He, was, you know, he attained to the righteousness which is in the law. But then he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Again, there's that perspective, a way of seeing things, a way of seeing even all of your accomplishments and what they don't mean. And then a way of seeing the stress that God brings into your life. And then he says, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And again, y'all, I read these verses and I think about my own life. And I think about, you know, all those years raising my kids and sometimes like worrying about, I mean, there were so many things that at times I would just worry about. Like they were going to miss something. You know, I didn't have like the best, sometimes I thought there's probably better stuff out there or I'm making them, I'm going to harm them or they're not, they're going to think they missed out. I remember so many things that, I would worry about, but then God would always bring me back to the truthfulness of his word and just wanting that heart that I would be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I mean, y'all, God is just faithful. You know, in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Don't you love those words? So much of what we do in this life is just pressing on. It's just going forward, just putting one foot in front of the other, doing the next lesson, doing the next memorization, doing the next resuscitation, just taking the next breath. You know, sometimes it's like, just breathe, just take a deep breath, okay? Like sometimes when my kids would like be all upset or whatever, I would just say, okay, take a deep breath. Let's just take a deep breath. Do the next lesson. Change the next diaper. Press on. Calm the next scared child. Hold them. Show them that your trust is in the Lord. Because that's what he says. He says here, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And he says, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I mean, these are just such great verses to press on, keep moving, do the next thing. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living, there it is again, living by that same standard to which we have attained. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, I can't read those verses without making this application. It matters who you follow. It matters who you listen to. It matters the stuff you take in. And I'm not just talking about worldly versus non-worldly. I'm not talking about spiritual versus non-spiritual. I'm even talking about in the spiritual realm. It matters who you follow and listen to. Y'all, I've said this so many times. We need to be women of discernment. We need to pay attention who we're learning from, who we are emulating, that's what he's saying. Paul could say, join in following my example. and then he, But he tells them, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And boy, do we have a lot of those today who even claim to be believers but their minds are on earthly things. They care more about the earthly things and not offending anyone than they do about the things of God. And then he reminds us our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And then he goes on to chapter 4, and he talks about Judea and Sintiki who were having problems in the church, these women. He calls them out. He says they're, they're believers, but they're having trouble. They loved Christ, but they had trouble with each other. And sometimes that's true of us. We have trouble with fellow believers and, or just a believer we don't like. But God wants us to live in harmony with the believer you don't like. Not everyone's going to be your best friend. That's okay. But we don't have to despise each other. And then this is when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit, and in another translation he says, your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. What are you anxious about today? What have you been anxious about this week as it concerns your children? God says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Have you done that when you've been anxious about things this past week, whether it's the child who's stubborn or whether it's the whatever? I I always want to throw out examples, but you know what they are, what you've been anxious about. He says, in everything, have you taken those things to the Lord? Have you prayed? Have you, have you like poured your soul out to the Lord and then thanked him, even for this stressful thing that's going on? Thank, thank him that your child's not getting that right now. Lord, what do you want to show me through this? And the peace of God, once you've done that, that's when God gives his peace. He says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension because you cannot understand it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He says, dwell on these things. You know, we dwell on our problems, don't we? I mean, we have to deal with our problems for Sure. But we're not supposed to dwell on them. And so many things we see as problems are really opportunities to see for God to help us grow. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And now at last you have received, revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not, not that I speak from want. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Have you? Have I? Do you know how to get along with humble means? But do you also know how to live when you have a lot? In any and all circumstances? Do you know the secret of being filled and going hungry of both of having an abundance and suffering need? Do you know how to trust the Lord in all of those situations? Because that's life, humble means. Sometimes it's very humble, other times there's prosperity. Different circumstances, different seasons of life. And it's, what's the secret? The secret he tells us in the very next verse I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what the context of this verse is. It's no matter what circumstance I'm in. I learn to be content in those circumstances because I can bear them, I can deal with them, because I'm trusting Christ through them, because He's the one who gives me strength. And then He says, I have done well—you uh, have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at my, the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. There he is again, applauding them for how they're thinking about him. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account— You know, so often that's what it is, is we need to give because God wants to use us. We think it's a great sacrifice to give, but then God gives to us because of that sacrifice. And then he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, ladies, do you know what we just did? We just read an entire book of the Bible tonight. And I don't know about you, but that was refreshing. Just to focus and hear and listen and see what Paul is saying. And not just Paul, because it's the inspired word of God. It's God himself. God breathed. And he's writing this letter to us. Doesn't his word refresh your perspective? Because listen, we all have stress. But we don't have stress all day and not every day. It's helpful to remember, y'all, that there's an ebb and flow to life. There's an ebb and flow to stress. It's not always high tide. Life is full of trials. Life is full of tensions. And sometimes that comes in, in the form of, uh, especially for those of us who've taken on this task of home educating our children, There's all kinds of trials and tensions that come with that and worries, and some of the worries, things we worry about, we're not supposed to be worrying about it. But it's also filled with refreshment and relief because that's the way God is. And Paul experienced that very thing even in prison that's what he's saying. And that's what he said right at the end when he says, you know, I receive from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And he called it a fragrant aroma. He called it an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He was refreshed by that. He was refreshed by their giving. He was refreshed that Epaphroditus cared for them. He was refreshed that Timothy cared for them. There was so much that God refreshed his heart with, even while he was in chains in prison. And of course one of those that the gospel was becoming known throughout this prison so there was this ebb and flow even in this experience with Paul because even when he talked about yeah there's some who are preaching Christ and they're doing it for all the wrong motives and that's stressful but then there's those who are who are doing it for the right reasons and my heart is so refreshed in that we have to remember that that there's an ebb and flow to the stress And with every stress that we come under and every stress that God leads us into, because He does do it, He strengthens us through it. That's what He says in His Word. I mean, again, I think back through all the course—because I have a lot of time, and I mean, I've lived a long time now, and I can think back over the course of my life and times I go back and read my journals and thinking, this was so heavy on my shoulders. But God was faithful and He got us through it. He got me through it. He got this child through it because that's who He is. And y'all, we have to stop being women who are trying to create some utopia that doesn't exist and it never will exist in this life. It won't. But that's what we're trying to create. That's what we're trying to create, just this blissful, peaceful life. God gives us that ebb and flow, but life is filled with stress. Some of you will leave here tonight, and you'll be unhappy because you really like focusing on your problems. You enjoy complaining about your kids. You enjoy complaining about your husband. You enjoy complaining about all the load that you have to carry, and you don't really want to be told not to do it. You don't really want God's perspective. And others of you will leave tonight, and you'll be unhappy because maybe, you know, I don't really know how to walk with God. But I'm going to tell you something. I felt with all my heart that I needed to give you a whole book of the Bible tonight. And that's what I've done. I've given God's Word to you. And if you will take God's Word... And if you will go home and make it one of your biggest priorities in your life, a bigger priority than your lesson plans, a bigger priority than all this other stuff, that I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. I want you to help me obey you in every single way. I want to live holy for you. And God will help you. He is the one who will strengthen you for the task that he's given you to do. And he'll make sense out of all of the things that are in front of you. He'll show you. Like all the stuff that seems so confusing and it just seems like a big pile of chaos on your desk. Little by little, one by one, he'll start showing you how to make sense out of that. That's just what he does. (laughs) That's just what he does through Christ Christ. Who strengthens you. That's how you need to live. You really can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's not a formula though. It's not a quick fix. It's simply a life lived with perspective. To live is Christ. It's a life lived with perspective and it's by faith in the one who died for you, but he gives his life to you. And Christ said something that grips me every time I think I'm sinking in stress. And this is in Matthew's gospel. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See, we're so busy putting our own yokes on us. We're just so busy putting, you know, carrying loads that God never meant, us, meant for us to carry. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And then he says, and you will. He doesn't say, well, maybe you'll find rest for your souls. No, he says, you will. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is his invitation. Father, I thank you for this evening we've had together I thank you for this letter that you wrote not only to the Philippians who lived so long ago, but you wrote it to us. In fact, the whole Bible is your letter to us. Father, I pray that we would be women who love it, who study it, who know it, who would look forward to having time in it the way we look forward to some mini-series that we've been captivated by, that we would love it more than that. Father... You say in your word that if we ask anything according to your will that you hear us and you will grant the request which we have asked of you. We know it's according to your will that we love your word and that we get to know it. So I pray that women in this room would ask for that kind of love for your word and that they would look to you to give it to them. And Father, I don't know what the needs are tonight specifically, I don't know, but I know that you know. And I pray that this time that we've spent focusing on your word will refresh the hearts of every woman who hears this message, who's in this room, who will listen to it later, that you will use your word to help them press on and rest in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So...
0: Questions? Yeah. Well, we don't have to end the evening quite yet. If you picked up an index card on the way in and maybe you have a question for Audrey, we have a little time and we can, she can answer some questions. Won't if you be me. want. <laughs> if you wish. Anybody have a question? Oh, okay. Great. Let me grab your card. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Anybody have one written down while she's writing hers down? Anybody else? Oh, I see some pens coming out in writing. So yeah. <laughs> we'll take just a minute. Awkward silence. <laughs> Fill it in, Claudia. Oh, yeah, I'm not, not good at that. I cannot extemporaneously speak. But who knew what book? I don't think you ever said what book you taught through tonight. I don't Philippians. Remember, well, I was going to ask somebody. Oh, I guess. Him. Oh, you were going to tell them. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. I'm I, Sorry. You were going to ask them, sorry. I
0: was.
1: <laughs> but I did say he wrote to the Philippians, so, oh, well, you know. that would have you know.
0: given it away. Right quickly, come on. All right, here's one. Here's the first one. Let's see. Oh, this is a good one. How about favorite book or books that you read aloud to your kids?
1: Oh, well, I read the, the Shiloh series. Uh, Shiloh, there's so many. There's so many. Um, Shiloh, I'm thinking of that too, because I've read that to my grandchildren. Obviously we did Chronicles of Narnia and, um, well I need to make a list of them. I have a list at home in my uh, home. Remember when I mentioned the home education guide that I sent and, I, and the books are all written in there, but we did all of like the ones that you're supposed to read, you know, like, um, we did, uh, uh, what's the one, um. One, um, the Wheel on the School was one of our favorites. Well, I should say that was one of my favorites, our favorites with my youngest son. He loved that book, and I loved reading that with him. And um, Carry On, Mr. Bowditch, you know, all those Newberry books and stuff, we did that. But I, we re- I really love Shiloh. That, I guess that's why that came to my mind first. And, and, and then I ended up reading the rest of the series just, re- well, I should say about a year ago with my grandchildren. And right now, here's another book that I that I just started reading with my granddaughters this week because I just found out about it, but I, di- I didn't know about it prior. Um, I, I heard about it, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. It was called Radiant, and it's by, I can't remember the author, but Radiant, and it's um. And basically, I, and I'm loving it. And I did it with Grace and Claire. They were here this week. We probably did the first maybe five chapters, because it's giving history of great women through the years of um, of the faith, and, and not Bible women necessarily, but just women like Perpetua and and uh, Augustine, Monica, Augustine's mom. And I have been so moved and touched by it. And we've had so we had so many good discussions this past week about that so that's just one that's fresh too on my mind and there's another one called I haven't read the boy one yet it's called triumph and I forget what the I forget the second part because they're new to me these are new so
0: all right here's another question someone's really eager to start so they want to know if did you or do you or are you familiar with any preschool homeschool programs well here
1: well here's the thing because you know how I I call myself vintage so when I first started and I'll tell you what I did and you can, you know, cuz there there's lots of new stuff now out that I did, that wasn't available when I was homeschooling my children. And even Saxon math that everybody knows and loves. My kids the first book was 5th grade when when I started, and so I had to use other things when they were younger until like Jameson got Saxon younger and so did Grant. But it wasn't available when my when my older kids were young. Um But um, one of the things that helped me the most in the early years with my homeschooling my children, and I already told you homestyle teaching, and I still think it's just an excellent book. If you can get a copy of it and read it, because the thing that I think it helped me with the most was perspective in terms of you can do this. And a lot of the things he gave, a lot of the stuff he walked you through were just the way you teach your children way of life. And even to this day, I I don't think my children fully realize, or maybe they do, that they learn so much because of the philosophy I had of educating them um and i you know so so that book but then i th- th- there were these books by dr ruth beechick and i don't think people ever people really hold those out as good resources anymore i don't know but they were life they were lifesavers for me she had one called an early start in arithmetic a strong start in reading and a i don't know there were three booklets the 3 rs is what they were called by dr ruth beechick and i read those books and i basically use that because I did, made all the charts that she recommended, and in fact, I still have them I pull them out sometimes and you know because I made them on the back of poster board um and I pull them out in terms of you know all the you know vowel families and all this stuff and I d- followed her method that she put in there, and i 'm talking about from kindergarten young children up to about third grade and um and that 's what I did and i but those two those two resources had the greatest impact on me when I first started schooling with my young children now because I started with the Moore Foundation, I used the curriculum that they sent me and they were you know and I still have those books at my house but um, but it's just different from what you um, will find you know, out there. And I know there's tons of great curriculum, traditional curriculum, like we used like a lot of Bob Jones when my kids were little. We used, we used some of Becca. You know, we used some traditional textbooks and things like that. But in terms of philosophy, in terms of me knowing how to teach my children real life, real and being excited about it, that came from Dr. Beechick and Dr. Raymond Moore. And, and I am deeply indebted to them for them. Um, for what they wrote and how they encouraged me because I don't know just the way I am. God's sovereign, so he knows what to use with different people. But but I probably would have been one of those people early on that would have thought I couldn't do it if I felt overwhelmed. Um, But it was one step at a time, little by little, and I thought this is like kind of the way I'm wired anyway. And so my kids, so many times when they were little, they just did it because they loved it. Because we just had fun with it when they were little. And I do think when your children are really young, that you know, instead of making it so overwhelmingly hard for them, where you're just mad all the time, you don't want to be mad all the time. There's enough to get mad at. You have to deal with discipline issues. I get all that. You know, but you don't have to be mad. You just have to be firm. You, know, you don't want to wait till you're mad to deal with something, because that's just, you know, let your child push your buttons. You know, you discipline your children because they do what's wrong, not because you're mad. So, but usually we wait till we get mad. We should have disciplined them, whether it's about schooling or whatever it is. We should have done it back here when it was just wrong. And we're not mad yet. We wait till they try us, they try us, they try us, they try us. Then we're mad and we're ready to discipline them, that's wrong we got to do it when it's wrong when it's foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child so if they're doing what's foolish we do do it then but i personally then this is just my personal opinion i think pushing too much on children too young is frustrating for you and frustrating for them and because they're still learning to hold a pencil. They're still learning. Now, anything they wanna do, great, help them with that. And I'm talking about preschool type stuff. But if you read to them, you point out letters to them because I had started getting that philosophy of education. When I read books to them, I would say things like, oh, see how that letter's different from this one? That's because that's a capital letter. That's what that's called. Or I'll say, see the spaces between the word. The reason I know how to read this is because these are words. Like I would do things like that, but I learned that through reading these educators she said these were good things to do and so I started doing that with my kids so they saw this makes words and then I know that with my daughter she in fact usually you know how you read all this stuff that girls usually learn to read earlier than boys when my situation she was a little she was a late bloomer with reading but she tried so hard and I was like we were both getting frustrated because I was doing all of the stuff you do with phonics and everything else. And it just wasn't making, I mean, it was hard. And finally, it was just like one of those times when I'm like, I'm like, Lord, you care. And you know, she's got, I know she's going to learn to read. Help me know what to do. And I remember at that time just really feeling strongly like I need to stop with the phonics. You know, I need to, just needed to stop with that for a while and just read to her. And we had been, I'd been like, and she would get frustrated because she just couldn't get it. So we're reading through Little House on the Prairie. That's another one, you asked. We're reading through that series. And I had been reading it to her. Um, and, and I still remember, I can still picture the day. I'm sitting on the couch with her in our living room reading to her. And I had to, I don't know if I had to go change a diaper. I don't know what I had to do. But I, had, I said, I'll be right back. But I got to go. Maybe I had to break up a fight with other kids. I don't know. But I left. I said, I'll be back. Well, when I came back in the room... She, she was holding the book like she's reading, you know, and she's turning the page. And I stood there, and I just looked at her for a second. I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm, I just went ahead. I'm reading ahead. And when she said that, it's like it, it dawned on her. And she goes, I'm reading. <laughs> and it was like she went from the struggle bus to reading. And I'm just saying, that's like that walk of faith sometimes. It's like, you know, I just need to stop this. Obviously, we would gotten enough into her, and I have and been doing all the other stuff, but it was just like, she's never going to learn to read. And then she did, and look at her now. I'm just saying, I mean, it's just like, yeah. So, I'm just saying, it's like, that's what, even when I tried to explain as I was teaching the scripture tonight, is so much of whatever it is we're doing is Asking God for His help, show me, help me. I need to know the next thing. I got, I got five kids to educate, and we decided to homeschool. Show me how to do it. Now, obviously, I don't teach them everything, but it's like more than anything, I wanted to give my kids a love for learning. I didn't want them growing up in a house with a mother who's always mad, because that's awful for kids to grow up in a home where their mom's always mad. And and lots of times, the reason mothers are always mad is because they feel all this pressure. And if they're feeling all this pressure and they're doing it themselves, they're going to come out and be mad. When God says, no, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I will give you rest. And then it's like, oh, I can take that deep breath. I can rest. God's going to show me. He's going to help my daughter read. I just want to enjoy reading with her. I want to enjoy the stories with her. So that's, and, and, and as I say that, that's not like, okay, then we're just throwing out the curriculum. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not over here, like it's just like, oh yeah, unschooling. I'm not there, but neither am I over here. It's like, I'm just like, I want to walk a faith where I'm depending on the Lord to help me with this. Show me what curriculum to use next. Show me how to help mold them next, you know, And you're going to leave out stuff, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Ready for the next one? Sure. I'm coming from working full-time to becoming a stay-at-home mom. Very much prayed for. I oddly feel overwhelmed in the transition. Any advice? It will be a different world, and I'm excited yet scared because it's a new season.
1: What was the middle part of that? Okay, she's she's coming home from the full-time workforce, stay-at-home mom, and homeschooling?
0: Yes, I'm assuming yes. Okay,
1: read it one more time. I want to make sure I fully understood it.
0: I am coming from working full-time to becoming a stay-at-home mom very soon, which is much prayed for. I oddly feel overwhelmed in the transition. Any advice? It will be a different world. And I'm excited yet scared because it's a new season.
1: Okay. One of the things I'd recommend that you do, who, I don't know who asked the question, but, but you need to learn biblical womanhood. And if, the, on, if y'all don't have the Search the Scriptures app, and I'm trying to put a lot more of teaching on the podcast too. How many of y'all listen to the podcast? Okay, quite a few of you. It's called Rare but Real, and and I would encourage you all to listen to it. My my daughter and I do it with my daughter and my daughter's in law, but we're also putting like different teachings when we do like we put the Biblical Mother in Conference on there. But what you need to understand the most is Biblical womanhood, and there's a I taught a series called The Lost Art of Biblical Womanhood, and it's on the app, and I would encourage you to listen to that. Um, I would also encourage you. I'm trying to remember what it's called, but Um, If you listen to when I taught, I don't know if the book of Titus is on when I taught it, if it's on um, the app, but because what you need to understand is how God created woman. You need to understand male and female roles. And that's way more than I can talk about tonight. Because once you understand again, tonight, even when I was saying perspective makes all the difference in the world, and it does, God's perspective changes. Think about when you got saved. Didn't you see everything differently? You saw people differently. You saw everything differently. It's the same thing when you learn what God says in his word about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, the roles, the, and what, he wants to, what he wants you to be doing. You learn that. When you learn that, it's like, oh, now I see my being at home. It's not about just staying home because our culture, which I, that stay, the term stay at home mom is fine, but the Bible term really is a work at home mom. And we're not talking about a career work at home. We're just talking about a woman supposed to be productive in the home. And she's her own boss. And Proverbs says, go to the ant, old sluggard, learn her way. She needs a chief officer or ruler, but she prepares her food in the summer. And she, she has plenty to give because that's who she is. She's not lazy. She's a productive woman. So God wants us as women, we're supposed to be productive in the home. And when you look at that list in Titus, you see, you see a lot of what she's supposed to be doing. She's supposed to make her husband a priority. That's what it means to love your husband. He's a priority. He's not just like this thing. He's a priority. And God's called me, if you understand Genesis, he's called you to be a helper to him. That's what God calls us as women, a helper suitable for our husbands. So if you're married, you're to be his helper. So he's your priority. And then when God expands your family, because when you get married, that's a family. You and your husband are a family. But when he gives you children, he expands the family. And then your, your next priority are your children and your home. So when he says to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, another thing is as, as you're a stay-at-home mom as you learn to be be sober-minded, to be sensible, to think about things properly. And then to be workers at home. That means we're to be productive there. We're not supposed to be parasites there. You know, just like, yeah, just whatever. I'm just like on a continual vacation. I'm just getting my children out of my hair so I can be on this vacation No, we're to be planning meals. We're to be looking well to the ways of our household, as Proverbs 31 says. We think about these things. How can I make my home a haven? Another thing I'd recommend you listen to is, I did teach a series, and I know that's on the app called The Path to Home. I've taught so much on these topics because it'll change the way you think. And I'm teaching God's Word. I'm not teaching my opinions what God's word says about the incredible value and worth of a woman. And see, our culture has lost that because they've turned men, you know, made men and women inter- interchangeable and they don't want to have any distinctions. God knew what he was doing when he created man and woman, he knew what he was doing when he defined the roles in creation before the fall. Because lots of times people will say, oh, it's the fall, that's the only reason the men are the head of their, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, he established it in creation that's why if you listen to the biblical loss our biblical womanhood i walk through those passages and explain that doctrinally from the scripture so you see it and then it's like you see everything differently you see marriage different you see your home different you see your children different you see what you see doing laundry at your home differently you see organizing closets differently You see cleaning out closets differently. You see everything differently, and you understand that you're a manager. You're not a parasite. And and women live like parasites. The ones who, quote, that's why people say, well, I can't afford to stay home. Well, that's because so many of those women are not productive at home. We always would tell women, be the kind of woman, especially if the husband wants her to work outside the home, be the kind of woman that he couldn't afford not to have at home. Because, you know, so many things you, you, you hire out if no one's doing them. And also with that, a woman, there's nothing wrong with a woman earning money from the home. But home, she's supposed to be home. So I hope that encourages you. But listen to those. I don't, I don't know. You should get those because it's way more than I can explain tonight. But the lost art of biblical womanhood, the path to home would be two to start with. And, it, and then he listened to it over the sun, you know. That, and by the way, I applaud you for making, for doing that. God will honor that, and your home will be blessed because of that. That you're going to be home, and you're going to be the glue. And yeah, that's a, that's so good. So,
0: you have time for more?
1: Sure. Well, that's okay. up to y'all. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind going longer if y'all... Yeah, feel free if you need to go, go, but I'm I'm good. I'm here, may okay. as well.
0: So this woman has five children, and she would like your recommendations for managing time when homeschooling varying age groups. She often feels like there's not enough time in the day for one-on-one. Um, resources, which you just mentioned a bunch, or books? Right,
1: Um, and that's a great question because I often felt that, and I can just tell you some practical kind of tips with that. Lots of that depends on what, how you're homeschooling, you know, if you, if you're doing, I know when my kids were in elementary school, I did a whole lot more, especially when some of them were grouped together, I did a whole lot more. I used a lot of the unit study approach where, like, like, we learned things together, and I had it based on grade level in terms of, like, what their assignment was. Like, for example, when we did, a, you know, South Carolina history, that's just one that comes to my mind, and they were all at different grade levels. Jameson wasn't, he was a baby, but but Grant certainly was old enough for this, but I had the different you know levels in terms of what I expected in their unit reports and the reports they wrote and papers that they wrote. I had different because I did that because I used and again I'm old school but I used a scope and sequence when my kids were growing up and that's and all that is is what your kids are supposed to know at each grade level. You know, that's all it is. And um, and so I would use that as a guide in terms of when I did And I've also used, like, people who created unit studies. And I had a book at the time called How to Create Your Own Unit Study, if there was stuff that I wanted to teach my kids. so um, And I used that to create my own. So I would do that. I did a lot of that at different times um, in, the, in the school years. But I also made—the other thing I did— with, with my kids at different grade levels as I did make sure our tr- always is the school was done in the mornings and you know the morning chores that kind of stuff but then whether it was the independent because the older they get the more you're more of a supervisor anyway you're coming back and checking on them and you're doing this or do this and you know that kind of stuff um, and you have to just make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do but um, but there's that so there so I did, I combine unit studies at times, and then depending on their ages, I had like this little study areas, and I would put my older children, I would say, you need to go do this and work on these lessons, and then while I'm working with the younger ones on this, because you know, the younger they are, the more they need your help. And, um, and then if I had babies or toddlers during that time, which I did, I would have toys that they didn't play with except during school time. Because they're new. You know how kids get bored? Even toddlers get bored with the toys. They just do. So I would rotate them. You know, I would have special ones that, oh, you know, it's like even when they got a little older. Can they do school? Because I want to play with that toy. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. They're, those are little, like, tips that help me a lot. But but think, and, and again, you just have to think through, because I know, like, with my daughter's-in-law and, and my daughter, like, different ones, she, they just have, they just... It's kind of like you learn as you go because I know there's been different times as, as they've done things. It's like, you know, they they just rotate child to child or they say, you do this while I'm working with this child and then we'll get to that. There is a podcast. I forget what it's called. And I don't have my phone in here. But I will, um, I'll, that I've discovered, I can't remember the lady's name, but I discovered it sometime when I was, looking for resources to recommend because there were no podcasts when I was homeschooling either. Um, but she has some good stuff. I sent a couple of her um, podcasts to my daughter because it dealt with this very thing of, um, of the morning routine with having different age, ages for kids because I remember thinking when I was listening to her, you yeah, that would have been so helpful when my children were young. So, so I'm passing it on, but yeah, I just, I just learned as I went along, you know? Yeah. But yeah, having special toys for younger ones, having the thing where you, you know, and sometimes, and I would do this too with my kids at different times if they were getting off course, like, cause every year it was a different dynamic every year. Cause they're at a different age. There's a different, you know, like this child couldn't do this before. Now they can do this. I would always have like what I call the, It was like the student-teacher meeting, and we didn't include Carl, just me and the kids. They didn't really like it, you know, because I would say we're tightening the shoelaces at the beginning of the school year. These are what's, this is the expectations. And I said, when the shoelaces get loose and we start tripping, we're having this meeting again, you know, to tighten the shoelaces to get back to doing, you know, and then, and of course, the same thing you do is you're training your children, whether you're homeschooling or not. It's just like, you know, if they're breaking rules or if they're disobeying, you have to deal with that. And sometimes they're disobeying as it relates to school, but you don't treat that differently than you would disobeying something else. You just deal with that because now that's part of your routine. And so, you know, I tried to do it in the mornings and I would also tell them, you know, because they knew that if we got it done, they had the afternoon, to do whatever they wanted within reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, and they love that. And, I, and another thing I did, and I know it's different now because people with their phones, but, but back in my day, <laughs> it was the phone hanging on the wall in the kitchen. And people, you know, calling. I took that phone off the hook and put it in the drawer. And I would just tell Carl, if you're trying to call me, and I would tell people, if you're trying to call me, and I know people say, well, what about emergencies? Well, I just had to trust God with that. <laughs> you know, because between nine to, you know, before noon, it was like, we want to get get the main things done that we need to do, but I didn't want to be mad doing it. I didn't want to be distracted doing it. And I wasn't perfect at it, so don't think I had like this perfect life. I didn't. It was a walk of faith and a moment by moment, every day trusting the Lord, Um, With it, But those are things that helped me a lot. And now it's like, there's times you need to put your phone, just like I came in here to teach, so I put it on Do Not Disturb. You got to do that kind of stuff with that phone because that phone is a blessing, but it's also a curse. And, And I know you do a lot. By the way, let me just make this caveat because a lot of things you're doing, schooling you're doing on your phone. I get that. Because, you know, I look up a passage of scripture. I use my phone a lot even if I have my grandchildren and I'm helping with their their lessons. But I'm talking about in terms of text messages and, you know, scrolling through social media. That's what you got to eliminate. So have your phone as a tool.
0: Okay, so last question. But before I read it, Audrey's going to be at the book blast tomorrow from 10 10 to 12. 12. Mm -hmm. So if you have another question... Go hit her up there at the table, (laughs) women's ministry table there. Okay. Okay, so I am not yet a wife or mother, but I would love to be one day. I want to keep my heart from desiring anything that's outside of God's will or before his timing. Uh, Our... Are there any specific passages of Scripture I can go to to keep my mind on him and keep these desires within the scope of his will?
1: And I'm assuming you're talking about the desire to get married and have children probably. That's probably the context of that. I'm assuming. Um, Obviously, a couple things that I would recommend that you do. Number one, get to know the great biographies of women in the Bible, especially Ruth. And the reason I love Ruth so much for single women is because, and I love her for every woman, but I particularly love the book of Ruth because now we know she was married and her husband died, as did Naomi's, as did her sisters. So she had this single year, so she was, a, but she was a young woman, and she was single. And in those years, because of the way she received the Lord, you know at the beginning of the book when she made her profession of faith after, you know, when she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And then she... Um, and then her goal was to take care of her mother-in-law and to work. You know, because there are a lot of, and even there's a lot of extremes even in homeschooling where people think, oh, a single girl's just supposed to sit at home once she's finished with her education and wait for a husband. No, I'm not in that camp. No. It's like, no, she needs to be, she's got these single years to invest for God's kingdom and to use her time well, and even to develop skills and education that she, should the Lord bring her to a place where she's married, because he may not, but let's, but it, even if he does, skills and everything and education that she has time to focus on now that when she gets married and now her focus is on her husband and her home and her children, they will enhance what she's doing with them and, and, and it's a time to put away money if she's, you know, have a job. And I'm talking about a good job. I'm talking about a God-honoring job where she earns money and she saves that money where she's putting it away, you know, like where she's doing things to take care of herself. Because that's, you see that biography of Ruth and she was commended by Boaz when he says, you're an excellent woman. That was her reputation. She was an excellent woman. And if you look at what she did, she lived with Naomi. She took care of Naomi. She worked hard in the fields. People say, uh-huh. I mean, she worked hard in the fields. She was gleaning in the fields and she wasn't sitting around like, I just hope a man finds me. She wasn't doing that. She was working hard, and she wasn't looking for a man, but a man found her. And that's what's so beautiful about that story of Ruth. And God commends her, and Boaz calls her excellence because she's doing and focusing on the Lord and doing what the Lord's called her to do while she's single. And then God, in his timing, Boaz takes note of her like, who is she? And what he notices, I mean, think about it. If you look at that, she's working in the field, so she's dirty and sweaty and gross. Everything that women don't want to be today, you know, they want to be like, you know, have the best hair and, you know, makeup perfect. And we spend all our time looking at that kind of stuff. And it's like, no, she was working. She, and that's, and and a man of excellent noticed her. Now you can get a lot of crummy men to notice you doing all the crummy things. That's what you want, but you focus on the Lord. So I would encourage you to, to know, es- I mean, Esther, Ruth, but Ruth I love because of, the, 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 because of that whole love story and, then, um, and the way God did it. Um, but there's, you know, other, other great women of the Bible, like Ab- Abigail, and there's, I mean, and then you learn from the nasty women too, like Jezebel and uh, Athalia and, you know, um, you, you, learn that, and you learn what not to be like. Um, so I would recommend that. But then I'd recommend to you that you stay in Proverbs every day because there's just w- wisdom for life. Because that book is written for young men. It was re- really directed for young men to, to know what kind of woman. If they're godly men. These are the kind of women you, the kind of woman you need to pursue. This is the kind you need to stay away from. And so then the flip side of that is for a young woman. As she reads it, this is the kind of woman I don't need to be. This is the kind of woman I be. That is if you want the right kind of man to find you. Um, but it's not your goal. This, you don't set out. It's, you just give that yet desire to the Lord and say, Lord, I, in Scripture, what you see it, from the very beginning is it was God brought a man. and a, I mean, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground in the, in the uninhabited world. And he placed him into the Garden of Eden, which he had planted with all those beautiful rivers and the flowers and everything. And it was in that context that he made woman and he made her from a rib, so she's strong, but she wasn't made from the dust of the ground. She was made from Adam to complement him. So we see in the, in, right in the beginning that that was God's intention, man and woman together to accomplish great things for him. That's what we see. But we also know from Scripture, that oh, well, let me back up. That's the norm. Most women will get married. Most women will have children. And so that's why you even see the curse affects that. However, we do know from the whole of Scripture that God does set some people apart to be single. And that is a gift. And all of us, is a gift at some point in our lives because, you know, I was single till I was 21. And I don't know if I'll be single again if Carl were to die, which I hope the rapture comes and, you know, before that, ha- for either one of us. But but we don't have to be afraid because of who the Lord is. So, and then there's times women who've lost their husbands, they're single. And so it's a gift. And so it's the same. So they, you invest in getting to know the Lord, you get, but if you're a young woman, and I know that was the context of the question, you uh, get to know the Bible and you, you study it like you just study it so that by the time if the Lord does bless you with a husband and children, you know it and you know how to be godly because you don't become godly and pure when you get married, you're supposed, you're supposed to be that way. You know, you're supposed to be, you know, how people say, well, we need to be pure until we get married. I mean, until we get married, you're supposed to be pure after you're married, too. You belong to your husband. You're you're supposed to be pure. That's one of the things in Titus, teaches the young women to be pure. So, I don't know if that helps, but Proverbs and Psalms, too. Well, all the Bible, the whole book. (laughs) But especially the women of the Bible, yes. And then Proverbs. B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. (laughs) That's the book for all of us. Okay, That's well, it. thank y'all for coming, and, um, and, I, and hopefully I'll see a lot of you tomorrow, I'll be there. So, and I hope this was helpful to you. So,
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From the Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.